Paceline is produced by The Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at The Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Dude, I went to Steve and Chris McNally's event at Peloton this past weekend. Yes, uh, supporting the arts and our good friend Steve at the same time. Yeah, so they released a book called Nowhere Fast with uh, the subtitle... Uh, drawings made on planes. Um, <laughs> people were asking, uh, why, why are Chris's drawings so much darker than Stevel's? And I looked at it and I went, well, one was in pencil, obviously, and the other was in ink. Um, and then they went, uh-huh, yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah, it's really neat. I mean, it's so funny that the, between the two of them, they could, they did, and apparently they've been discussing this for years and years, but between the two of them, they put together a hundred some odd page and, uh, yeah, sorry, everyone. Um, uh, my upstairs neighbor is wrestling an elephant. Um, oh yeah, I, I can hear that. And I'm on the other coast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> good grief. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a hundred odd page book. Um, all of the drawings we're done on planes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It, it's such a novel idea. Um, I, I love that they realized that they were both busy drawing on planes. Um, uh, yeah, and, you know, so they put the book together. How yeah, cool is that? I understand the events were pretty fun. Um, and if anyone is interested in the book, I know that you can get it uh, in the allhailtheblackmarket.com store. Yes. Yes. Um, it's, a, it's an edition of 500. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's it. Mine's number 117. Signed, ah. signed with extra little drawings uh, included. And oh. I got uh, a cloth patch and uh, some sort of whiskey. With a, a label on it that says "Nowhere Fast," which seems fitting for whiskey. Sure. Uh, yeah, and um, a shout out to our listener and subscriber Brett, who, with his partner, flew from Albuquerque, New Mexico, to Seattle to be there. That's cool. And and, and he wore a wool walls cap uh, while in attendance. Uh, if he's not our target market, we don't have one. <laughs> he was wearing a prominent cultural signifier on his head? Yes, yes. <laughs> and also, he was a really nice guy, so there's that, too. Oh, good. Yeah, it was a good. lot of fun to talk he, to. I'm glad he's in the club. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we're nothing without an audience, and uh, if our audience is people like that, we're doing awfully well. Sweet. Yeah. All righty. What are you pulling on this, this time? 
Um, well, I want to talk a little bit about gravel bikes. Sometime in the early teens, I was involved in the design and release of a gravel bike model. Mm-hmm. I should note that I had close to nothing to do with the technical design of the bike. <laughs> For those out there who might be worrying, uh, I may have given some input on component spec and I participated in the naming and the launch, although I didn't actually come up with the name for that one either. Uh, but this was this uh, is the bike that turned into the Seven Cycles Evergreen, uh, the latest version of which is still my go to bike for almost everything, mm-hmm. uh, honestly. Um, so I was out on it the other day. What a dream it is to ride. And I was thinking about the early days of gravel as a category and how we had to explain over and over to people that gravel bikes are different from cyclocross bikes, mm. which is basically what everyone was riding up to that point for what we know as gravel. Yes. Or they were slapping the widest tire possible on their road bike. That's what I was doing. Uh, and those are both worthwhile approaches because just get there. I don't care what bike you're on. Mm-hmm. Just to add a few details here, um, so that the people who are scratching their heads about what I'm saying uh, uh, understand. A a cyclocross bike has a lower trail, so it steers like a race bike. Mm -hmm. Given how tight most cyclocross courses are, the steering of those bikes is usually pretty twitchy. Very. So gravel bikes are more stable and a bit more relaxed and upright because presumably you'll be riding them for more than 45 minutes. Uh, Or even a half an hour. Yes. 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 Gravel bikes also have a lot more tire clearance. Uh, Cross gets raced on 32s mostly, or it did. Uh, I think gravel blurred all the lines in what I think. I mean, this is another occasion where we get to thank the UCI for uh, impeding progress. Yes. It's yes. it's a UCI rule that you can't run something wider than 32 millimeters. True. And yet, in the Cat 4s, nobody's nobody's got the calipers out. Anyway, yeah. those are just some basics. Um, while I was riding, I was thinking about some other small things that differentiate gravel bikes and a few things people can do to enjoy their grambling. Uh, that's my term for gravel rambling. Mm. Uh, more things they might not have thought of, especially if they're coming from road or cyclocross. Uh, the first one is saddle height. Mm-hmm. I, I have an optimal saddle height for my road bike, uh, and that's based on a lot of things, but mainly, and correct me here, uh, maximum power output through the entire pedal stroke. Uh, in other words, the leg, the leg is extended as far as possible without overextending anywhere in the rotation. Uh, that's, that's not a bad way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the basic of saddle height. Uh, there are other factors, but that's the sort of starting point. A gravel bike, I think, wants a slightly lower saddle height. Uh, there's more chatter coming up from whatever surface you're on. Uh, there are obstacles if you're riding really rough roads or single track. Giving yourself just a bit more room to crouch over the saddle, I find enormously helpful. Hmm. I've heard other people say that. Uh, I have not adopted that approach. I try to keep all my saddle positions uh, pretty consistent to the bottom bracket. I used to do that. I used to do that, and I ride, I, my gravel riding is 
largely single track. So mm-hmm. there's a lot going on. And <laughs> I find having a little bit of room uh, enormously helpful. Um, the second one is gearing. All the bikes have all the gears now, so that's nice. Uh, what I want to say about this is that gravel gearing is closer to mountain gearing than road. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I ride, there are sharp technical climbs that really beg for more gears. If you're coming from road bikes, don't sell yourself short. Those little gears will be valuable, and the big ones, much less so. <laughs> the third one uh, that I want to bring up is measurement. Mm. Uh, and by that I mean don't. <laughs> if you keep track of your annual mileage and this is important to you, uh, okay. But consider just letting it go. Consider not riding your Garmin or whatever it is you use. Consider just looking at trees and listening to birds. Gravel riding isn't a thing to be managed. It's a thing to be discovered. I understand that not everyone sees it that way, that many will disagree with me. Listen, I get it. It takes all kinds. I'm just saying there might be more to discover out there, but you have to pay attention to it. (laughs) Now, maybe... This is my question to you. Maybe I should have left my tips at the first two, but somehow I felt compelled to, to do three. Like maybe saddle height and gearing was enough guidance and I should have left that last one out. What do you, how do you, do you measure your gravel rides? Well, I, you know, I got into a habit a very long time ago of just basically recording data on all of my rides. I used to do it on paper with a pen. I had a calendar that, you know, one of those little spiral bound ones. Uh, and I'd record all my rides in there. And then, uh, once, uh, once Garmin had a piece of software that would allow me to upload all my rides, I did that. And then I went to map my ride. And then eventually I, I, uh, moved over to Strava, um, and currently I'm not uploading anything to anything. Uh, I have set my sights for my personal writing, uh, just getting out more days. The, the, I don't want to say constant upheaval, but the constant upheaval in my life, uh, you know, if I, if I can ride five days in a week, um, that's a win. And I'm not looking at how many hours I was out there. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've got, uh, I've got no, uh, resistance. I've got no reason to argue against, uh, bringing the GPS along and recording all of the numbers and then uploading all of the numbers. I, I mean, I think what you're really trying to do is get it is encourage people to let go of the outcome. And very often, uh, looking at the numbers, uh, drives people toward a certain outcome based on existing ideas about what they ought to be doing. Um, if, if, uh, that was a succinct explanation of what I'm trying to achieve. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I do support letting go of the outcome, uh, in gravel riding, that's a really lovely thing because, good Lord, there are an awful lot of things to go check out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think uh, I'll, I'll use two old adages. One is from engineering, uh, which is that you get what you measure. 
So if you're trying to ride a bunch of miles and you're measuring a bunch of miles, well, you're probably going to get a bunch of miles. What those miles mean on a gravel bike versus what they mean on a mountain bike versus what they mean on a road bike. I don't know. That's pretty. I, I don't I don't have the conversion table for that. So it makes me think that measuring that is not that informative. Um, the other thing that I will, the other adage is, and this is, this is bringing Steve up again. It's one of Steve's favorites. He, he contends that Teddy Roosevelt said it first, which is comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> and I think sometimes when we measure a gravel ride or really any sort of woodsy experience, if you're, if you're really trying to break it down and quantify it and compare it to other ones, eh, I don't know, maybe you're foregoing some joy in the process. But I think, and there, there's a reason I asked you this uh, here at the end of my poll, because I think overall you represent a type of cyclist who believes in precision and accuracy. You know, like we've had, we, you and I have had, uh, uh, what's the word I want? Friendly arguments about tire pressures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I represent the side of cycling that's like, yeah, whatever. It feels fine. Have fun. Go do it. Uh, so there are two sides to this coin, both of which hold the value of the coin. I just made that up. I just made that up. Somebody send me a check for that. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're just full of the koans today. Yes. Um, I, it's funny. I mean, it, you, you may be the only person in history to refer to me as someone dedicated to precision. Um, I, you know, I'll say I like recording what happened on a ride. Sometimes I look at it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I want to check it against something else just out of curiosity. Um, there have certainly been any number of rides in my life where, uh, you know, there, there was a training agenda. There was certainly plenty of that. Uh, mm. and it has even occurred, uh, on gravel rides. Um, you know, setting a personal KOM, uh, uh, on a climb. Um, that's, you know, that's not without value. Um, but if it's the only thing you're placing value in, um, golly, that's sort of a, a small pursuit. Um, I, I had a conversation with someone recently and they kind of asked me what my, uh, political outlook is. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really very focused on freedom. I, I want you to be able to do the things that you want to do. Uh, I want other people to be able to do the things they want to do and have fun the way they want. Um, and the only things I want to eliminate are the things that are really dangerous for everybody else. Mm. Uh, and to that end, I'm really, really, because freedom, I'm really reticent to say, this is how you should ride. Agree. Agree. Um, yeah, I, I suggest you lower your saddle. I suggest you uh, get maybe some uh, some more gears than you think you need. Those are suggestions, just like uh, it's a suggestion that, I don't know, try riding without the thing. I'm not saying don't do ever do it, and I'm not saying if you really love to do it, you're doing it wrong. Not, not for a second. 
I'm just suggesting give it a try the other way. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to touch uh, touch base on where you began, you know, I think it's it's helpful to mention that there are a couple other really significant differences between uh, cyclocross bikes and gravel bikes. Uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, yes. Wheelbase is longer. Bottom bracket is lower. And those two things make a huge difference in how the bike handles overall. I don't ever, ever want to go 45 miles an hour on a cyclocross bike. <laughs> because I don't like feeling like I might die any moment. Right. Uh, and cyclocross bikes are not fun at high speed. Um, but they are, uh, you know, nimble as a uh, nimble as a ballet dancer. Um you know, at low speed, um, you know, and I find it fascinating all the ways that kind of a certain sort of evolution has happened in different kinds of bike geometry. The high bottom bracket in a cyclocross bike is all because they used to ride with toe clips. And when they would hop off and, you know, they started hopping off because their feet were cold. They, mm. did, they weren't racing them at first. They would just ride in the winter and their feet would get cold and they'd hop off and run around for a little bit and get the blood moving uh, toward their toes again. And then they'd get back on the bike. Well, the toe clips would be upside down. And if the bottom bracket was too low and back in those days, bottom brackets were really low, uh, the toe clips would dig up uh, grass. It, they would catch on the grass. So they raised bottom brackets and nobody ever lowered him again when we went to clipless pedals. <laughs> so some years ago in your neck of the woods, uh, I worked with uh, Toby Stanton of Hot Tubes um, mm. in Wasta. And uh, I said, I want to build a low bottom bracket cyclocross bike. And he was like, why? I said, because it's going to handle better in turns. And I'm not worried about catching the pedals on grass because I'm going to be riding uh uh, clipless pedals. And he's like, mm, okay. And we finished building it on a Friday. Uh, and I raced it on Saturday and it was crazy fun. It handled really well. Uh, I, you know, yeah, I think, I think that cyclocross bikes ought to actually be more like gravel bikes uh, because it would make them more versatile. You can do more things with them. Well, this is what I was trying to say at the end of uh, that little bit about uh, cyclocross bikes having 32 millimeter tires and having seen a lot of people uh, who then moved into gravel go back and race cyclocross on their gravel bike. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no downside to my way of thinking. I mean, unless you're some Dutch pro. Uh, and no one listening to this is, uh, yeah. Uh, why go there? <laughs> uh, I agree. Yeah. I'm also not cool enough to be able to ride, uh, a 28 millimeter wide tire at five PSI. <laughs> I mean, no. the, the amount of air pressure in, in the tires that the, on the really muddy courses that the Dutch and Belgian and other pros are running. Yeah it's not tire squirm so much as it is. I, I don't know. Tire, tire. slosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's crazy, crazy. Uh, but yeah, uh, cool. I'm glad you did this. Yeah. 
gravel gravel riding is awesome. It is. And it's also, you know, for people who haven't tried it, most road bikes today, you can get a much bigger tire in there than you could 12 or 14 years ago. You might be able to get 28s in there. And, you know, I've done gravel riding on 25s. If you've got 28s, you can go in a whole lot of places. Yeah, my first full year of of riding quote unquote gravel, which was everything from dirt roads to single track, was on 28s. Um, and I did uh, D2R2. I did 100 and whatever, 20 miles on 28s uh, hmm. without, a, without a flat, I would add. Um, uh, well done, sir. Well yeah. done, sir. Yes. Well. <laughs> Alrighty, we're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. This podcast is brought to you by Shimano. Um, uh, this is a recurring theme with me, but uh, when when Shimano put out their GRX component group, their gravel-specific componentry, my first uh, reaction was, really, we need a, we need a gravel-specific uh, component group. Um, but, you know, as is always the case in my history, I ended up uh, getting some, uh, putting it on my bike. I have a GRX DI2 one-by setup on my uh, gravel bike, which is my go-to, my do-everything bike. And I love it so much. I love it so much. It's not a road group and it's not a mountain group, but it does exactly what I wanted to do out on the trail uh, in a way that I didn't I didn't imagine or could have conceived of before it came out. So there you go. Innovation from a company that doesn't probably have to innovate, uh, but does and keeps after it. And so we're proud to have them as sponsors of the podcast. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. What is your poll this week? Well, it's not often that our government does something that intersects with bicycles in a way that makes me take notice. Uh, today, I, I am happy to note that that's not the case. Um, last week, five congressmen, three from California, one from Hawaii and one from Oregon, uh, all Democrats, uh, <laughs> reintroduced the E-Bike Act. That is, the legislation is known as the Electric Bicycle Incentive Kickstart for the Environment Act. This cutesy stuff may need to stop. Yeah. Uh, so what it does is it proposes tax credits for people who purchase e-bikes. Uh, this was proposed once before in the Build Back Better uh, Act in 2021, but then ended up on the cutting room floor, if we're going to mix our metaphors. Um more bluntly, it didn't make it to Biden's desk. Yep. Uh, so the plan is to offer a 30 percent uh, kind of refund uh, back, uh, you know, a tax credit on the purchase uh, price of an e-bike costing up to eight thousand dollars, which pretty much leaves out all of specialized EMTBs, just for the record. Um, but for anyone contemplating an e-bike from one of the direct consumer companies or anybody else who's doing a more, you know, uh, commuter or cargo bike oriented thing, this could make for a remarkable discount. The credit maxes out at $1,500. There are some limitations. Um, it's good for one purchase every three years, which means that you can replace your e-bike about the time you need to replace the chain and cassette. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, or uh, two bikes every three years for couples who file jointly. 
Um, there's a, an income cap. Uh, single households would be capped at 150K. Uh, heads of household would be capped at 225K. And joint households uh, will be capped at 300K. Um, I'm pleased to note that cycling's largest advocacy organization, People for Bikes, supports this legislation and has gone to the trouble of creating a page where people can go in, go to it, select a couple little boxes or pull down menus, uh, which will uh, sort of semi-automate the process of writing to their local representatives, urging them to support the bill. Um, in my other job, this is a commentary now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> switching to commentary from yeah. news. Good. I I love I love this legislation. I really really hope that it happens because I think it could do an awful lot of good for an awful lot of people. Uh, in my other job, commentary, I've been doing some math. Also, uh, commentary generally a bad idea. Me and math not that's like crossing the beams. Um, but I've been looking at the difference between how much CO2 charging an e-bike puts into the atmosphere versus an EV versus an internal combustion engine. Uh, the numbers not to put too fine a point on it are terrible. Mm. Uh, and what's really scary is if someone's power is largely supplied by coal fired power plants, Yes, an EV is still better than a regular car, but the amount it's better by is not very much. I, I mean, I've long heard, oh, yeah, you know, what good does it do if you charge your, your uh, EV with power that came from a coal-fired power plant? I, you know, I figured that was a straw man argument. There's not nearly as much straw in that man as I thought. Uh, it's... It's really dispiriting to see just what those numbers are. On the other hand, looking at what uh, an e-bike costs in terms of uh, what you pay in electricity to charge an e-bike, uh, which can be like eight to 12 cents, <laughs> depending on where you live, right. uh, and the amount of carbon that you're putting into the atmosphere, even if your e-bike is charged by electricity, electricity supplied by a coal-fired power plant, those numbers, that, we get enough people doing that, that'll make a real difference in our atmosphere. Well, this, um, this reminds me of a poll I did some months ago, um, he said, tooting his own horn, where, <laughs> yeah, which was basically me ranting about we should have, like they have in the UK, tax credits for all bicycle purchases. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, EV, I'm sorry, e-bikes put very little carbon into the atmosphere relative to an electric vehicle uh, or a combustion engine car. But you know what puts even less? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Is a pedaled bicycle. So I'm definitely in support of that legislation. And I applaud those Congress people, but I would also implore them to broaden their view just slightly. Look, you you've identified a two wheel vehicle that makes more sense than a four wheel vehicle. There are 
look, there's even more two-wheeled vehicles. <laughs> I mean, it, it's an interesting point to bring up. And I don't know why they would uh, leave regular bicycles out of it. Uh, that part doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I bet there's somebody somewhere who will certainly argue that, you know, this is about getting bikes out there uh, for transportation and not a, a bunch of mammals uh, who are f clogging the roads with their Pelotons. Um and yeah, I, I can totally see people making that argument. Uh, there is some value, I think, to calling it out as something for e-bikes in order to get people's attentions. I mean, the number of people buying e-bikes relative to what the bike industry uh, had been, say, 10 years ago, uh, the numbers are pretty astounding. Uh, it's a good yeah, thing. The trend is positive, um, and I do think, you know, there are a lot of people who aren't going to pedal a bike who will, you know, pedal an e-bike, um, and that's good, and we should have them on two wheels, too. So I will I will remove my um, disappointment and cynicism from this and just say, yes, eat cutesy e-bike act, I'm for you. <laughs> uh, we will uh, include a link in our show notes at TCI so that people can click on that and it will take them to the People for Bikes page where they can write their representatives. Um, they already have all the verbs chosen. It's a, it's a pretty easy click, click, click sort of thing. Cool. Yeah. Alrighty, Paceline Picks. What do you have? This week, I am picking the work of Sam Pilgrim, mm. who is a British freeride mountain biker. He was freeride world champ in 2013. Um, now, he's a 30-something man-child who has one of, for me, the most entertaining YouTube channels in the cycling space. Okay, please continue. So... Sam is, is quite literally what it would be like if my 10-year-old self had world-class bike handling skills. <laughs> His channel is full of these crazy sessions in Colchester, Colchester England, where he lives, mm -hmm. as well as travel journals, which are kind of like Hunter S. Thompson mixed with Danny McCaskill with a dash of Mission Impossible thrown in. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I'll be perfectly honest with you. A lot of what Sam does is pretty dumb. Like one video where he attaches PVC piping to the rear end of a pedal quad, a four-wheeled bicycle, and then uh -huh. drifts it through the town center until it basically falls apart. Uh, uh, okay, okay. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, in another, he gets a 32-inch wheel penny farthing and rides it on a pump track. Oh, Oh, all while he's doing all of this, he keeps up a lunatic patter and a maniacal laugh. Huh. And you start to watch and you're like, this guy's an idiot. Why am I watching this idiot ride bikes? But oh, my God, out of nowhere, he throws in these bits of like skill that you're like, what? <laughs> it's like the bike has grown out from his butt. And it's just like an extension. I don't even know. And his enthusiasm is incredibly infectious. Well, I'm now I'm going to YouTube. 
Yes, so I'm picking Sam's channel for two reasons. The first one is that I believe deeply that most of us take riding bikes too seriously. That's not a secret. Sam Pilgrim is the antidote for that. Mm -hmm. Second, I've been, honestly, I've been struggling with some depression lately. I have the, uh, I have the low-grade chronic variety, for anyone wondering. And what I find helps a lot is someone who reminds me that life can be absurdly hilarious if you let it be. Mm. Mm. So Sam is doing me a solid this week, um, and he maybe he'll do you a solid too. Uh, I, even if it's a little squishy, I'm in. Good. Yeah. My good grief. Uh, I, the the elephant wrestling is going uh, all 26 rounds. Uh, sorry, folks. My pick this week is an exceedingly versatile piece of gear I've been wearing a bunch lately. Uh, it's the G-Shield thermal jersey from Giordana. This is a short sleeve uh, with longer than usual sleeves. Uh, they extend my elbows um, and it's a, a fleecy uh, jersey. So sh short sleeve, but long short sleeves made from fleece. Uh, the fabric is 260 grams per square meter uh, of bre breathable fleece. Uh, there's no uh, hard, uh, hard fabric for wind stopping. Um, and the fibers receive uh, Giordana's Aqua Zero Eco Treatment, which is a durable, uh, permanent water repellent treatment, much like Castelli's Nano, Sportful's No Rain, or Pearl Izumi's PI Dry. Uh, and again, this is a fabric treatment that won't wash away like a DWR. One of my favorite features of this piece is that it's very stretchy, which is a handy thing for, shall we call it, winter cargo mm. um, <laughs> of the of the human variety of the yeah. uh, belly. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> we got you. Yeah. Okay, good. Because uh, I really don't want to have to spell it out any worse than that. They say it has a temperature range of high 60s to low 50s. And I'd say that's true if the rider isn't wearing a warm base layer. With the warm base layer and arm warmers, I've worn this into the upper 40s. Uh, for you, For you, <laughs> it's probably good to about uh, minus six. I was going to say about 28. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Uh, it comes in four colors. Uh, the Sienna orange is the one I wish I had gotten, but was not available at that time. Uh, more impressive uh, is that it comes in seven sizes from extra small to three XL. It goes nice. for $210. And given that we have a pattern of commenting on pricing, uh, I'm going to say that this seems like more than fair, uh, a more than fair price given the quality of the piece. I've been wearing this for five seasons now. And mm -hmm. it's it's one that I had kind of forgotten about for a little while there. Um, uh, you know, and I ought, I ought to mention that, yes, it has some reflective hits. The thing for me is that I've been wearing this when mountain biking and gravel riding, where my speed is lower and I don't have to think about wind protection. Yeah. Uh, so when all I need is, uh, is to be warm and I don't have to worry about, you know, doing 22 miles an hour down the road and having the wind just go straight through everything I'm wearing. Uh, this is, this is just a, a really dynamite piece. 
Uh, and the, the stretch in it is also really handy. Like if you happen to make the mistake of eating a big lunch and then going for a ride immediately afterward, <laughs> something I've, I've definitely never done, definitely never done that. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really dynamite piece. And this is one of those things that there aren't a lot of other pieces similar to it on the market. It's not absolutely unique, but it's certainly uncommon. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Did, did you know, here's a, did you know, mm. um, that, uh, spandex, which mm-hmm. is the generic name for, uh, brand names, things like Lycra. We all know <laughs> what that material is, is spandex is just an anagram of expands. Is that how that word was created? That's correct. That is how it was created. Well, that goes from a did you know to a today I learned. Oh, good. Yeah, good. I'm had, glad I, I could had, be here for you. I had no idea. Expanse. Huh? Yeah. yeah. That's that's almost like they say too clever by half. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but I do. I do like it. Uh, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Good stuff. All righty. That's a wrap on another episode of the Paceline. Uh, we've got some good stuff coming up this week, right? Another episode of the long way home, uh, which I need to finish up. Uh, what else? Um, well, I just want to, I've got a, I, you've got a long way home going. I have one in the works. Uh, yours will be out first. Um, I'm, I'm, I would like to hear what listeners, uh, think of that show. I yes. would love for some feedback on it because you and I like it. <laughs> and we've heard some things anecdotally that are good, but I'd love to hear what other people think. Um, we also have a ton of reviews sort of backed up that are ready to uh, start trickling out. Um, yeah, it's going to be good stuff. Yeah. And all this will happen if I survive the war going on above me. <laughs> This is where we ask you to subscribe. If you haven't already, go ahead, click that button now. Send us some questions. If you've got an idea or, and send us opinions, uh, we're definitely soliciting those as well. If you've got an idea or an opinion or a general statement or another koan to add to our little collection, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. Also, if you haven't already, check out those other podcasts. We've just mentioned The Long Way Home, as well as Revolting, which lives up to its name, but is highly entertaining. That's John with Stevel. Uh, And uh, maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us. We're asking an awful lot of these. We are. uh, It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. um, But what the heck? Just do one of those things, everybody. Pick one. Yeah. 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 Constructive criticism, opinions, advice. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. It, it definitely keeps us going. Um, yeah. All right. That's it until next week. I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thank you very much for listening to the pace line. <laughs>